invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 26. I'm going to title this today, Made in the Image of God. Made in the Image of God. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. That's what I thought too. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I'm going to read that again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to every thing that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you made us in your likeness. And that you created us out of the dust of the earth. From the dust you have made us, and to dust we know that we return when we die. Father, but you breathed in us the breath of life. You created life, and you have sustained life ever since you created us. And you have told us, Father, that each and every person that is born, that is conceived, is made in your likeness, bears your image, the image of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would help remind me of that. Help remind me that you have made me in your image. And that I am to reflect this image in my life. And that you have given us the wonderful privilege of displaying your image in the image of Christ to all those we come in contact with. Father, help us to remember how precious that life is, how precious your creation is. And Father, that we might treat it with respect and honor 
and that we may see it as good as you did. Father, we understand that sin entered into the world and that it has marred this image and has marred your creation. But Father, you have redeemed a people and you have shined in our hearts the glory of Christ so that all the world might see that even though we are no more than cracked clay vessels, yet the light of Jesus Christ can shine through. But help us to remember, Father, as we're reminded of in Scripture, Father, that you are the sovereign God, you are the creator God, and that our life, our heart, our very being belongs to you. And we are not the determiner of our own destinies. We are not in control of our own life. But Father, you are in control of all life. You are the determiner of all destinies. And Father, we want to humbly bow before you and worship you as such. Ask that you'll be in the preaching of this word today, that your spirit might be here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it says that he created them male and female. This was God's design as he created the world and as he created human beings. He said that he would make them. He made them in his own image to bear his image and his likeness. The likeness of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not that God has physical features as a man or as a woman. But our likeness that he has created in us is the character that he has given us that is like himself. It is this union with him that he has had always from eternity we are brought into this union and we are made a, a soul and a body in that likeness. Just as God is three in one, He has made us the same way. And the image of God, brothers and sisters, has been under attack by Satan ever since God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. Satan's goal has ever been to attack this image of God. And it's still under attack today. Nothing has changed in that sense. We are seeing a greater manifestation of the results of Satan's attack of this image in our own country in abandoning the word of God and promoting self as our God. We have seen the end result of that be a great outpouring of ungodliness and corruption of individuals. And it grieves our hearts. It grieves our hearts for those that we see that are blinded by the sin 
It grieves our hearts that our children have to grow up in such a culture as we live in now. But it should grieve our hearts the most that these and even our own hearts defy their own Creator. For it is not our glory, it is His glory. It is not our name that is being degraded. It is not our image that is being marred. It is God, the Holy Trinity's image that is being stomped all over. And and so this should stir up in us a holy passion for God's glory, God's image. And when we see this happening in our own hearts, in our own families, in our own communities, and in our own country and in the world, it should grieve us to the core that those that God has made in His image, they turn their back on their Creator and they reject Him and they instead decide for themselves who is God. And they promote themselves to being God instead of humbling themselves before Almighty God. So we see in our generation a very strong attack by Satan on the image of God in men and women. And in our own country, it has been in the last hundred years that this has been progressively increasing more and more. And we, we, are, we are in the middle of a complete uh, ab- abandonment of God's word and utter foolishness by humanity. And just kind of to build up to this, we must understand where we've come from and we must, we must see the progress of what's happening so we can rightly be able to take God's word and, and understand what's going on and be able to, to share the truth and defend the truth and uphold the word of God and also preach the gospel to those in our own generation, we must understand what's happened. And we could go to a, a passage like Romans 1, and we can say that in Romans 1 it talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And then it says that it all starts with denying God in your heart, right? Those who knew there was a God, those who know there was a God... It has been clearly revealed to them who God is, His nature, His character, and His power, His Godhead. It's been clearly revealed to them through nature, through the fact that He's their Creator and they are created beings made in His image. They have rejected this. They have suppressed this truth. They have denied it. And He says, from that flows all this ungodliness. And so it starts with a rejection of the truth of God's word. It starts with rejecting that God is God and you are accountable to him. It starts with a rejection of the knowledge of God 
and what His truth is and what His Word says is truth. What His Word says is reality. What His Word says is your duty. Your duty as His creation to submit to Him. And when you reject that, reject the knowledge of God, reject the Word of God, reject truth, you begin to forsake His ways. And you begin to decide what is right and what is wrong. You begin to decide how you're going to live your life. You begin to decide what your destiny is going to be. You think you're deciding what your destiny is going to be. But this is what's happened in our own country. It began with a rejection of the knowledge of God. There once was a time when this country stood on the Word of God. It said we will be guided. We will be directed. We we will understand and believe the importance of what this Word says. It will guide our education. It will guide our employment. It will guide our government. There once was a time when that was the case. And when that was the case, this country was being blessed beyond measure. But there soon was a shift from this in government and in education, which led to a shift in the home. And so it started with an abandoning of the truth of God and its importance in all areas of life. And so then the rise of modern self began. Instead of God's word being the standard, instead of God's truth being the thing that was most important, the thing that began to be the most important thing was yourself. And we saw the the outworking of that in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And it just continued to get worse and worse. You can do whatever you want with your body because you're not accountable to God. Therefore, you can choose to do whatever makes you happy. That's what the slogan became here, right? Whatever makes you happy. And so what eventually does this lead to? If you reject the knowledge of God and the truth of God and the standard of God's word, you reject the law of God and reject the gospel, and you place self at the center and you say you're going to do whatever makes you happy, you're going to do whatever is right in your own eyes, then what does this lead to? Well, it leads to a moral revolution which leads to a sexual revolution, which leads to a same-sex revolution, which leads to a transgender revolution, which leads to you don't know what you are. Right? That's the end result. A depraved mind that doesn't know who you are. And so that's what we're in the middle of right now. We have seen the moral revolution take place We've seen it lead to a sexual revolution. We have seen it lead to a same-sex revolution, which has led to a transgender revolution. And now we have, sadly, 
LBGTQ+, for in, just in case you don't know what you are. And you can identify as, I don't know what I am. Or I don't identify as anything. And so, the image of God has been under attack. And it is under attack. And we must understand that. We must understand that this is from Satan. We must understand that this is uh, his design. That this is how he attacks the image of God that people are created in. And that our only hope is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our only hope is the grace of Almighty God. Being born again by the Spirit of God. And giving faith, given faith that we can exercise in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our only hope. This is people's only hope that are led into this. And so this moral and sexual revolution, this marring of the image of God, it has led to a rapid increase of divorces in marriages. It has led to the rise of the murder of unborn children. It has led to female liberalism. It has led to same-sex and transgender uh, identity. And ultimately, it is leading people down a dead-end street with no hope. And so how are we to talk and walk before this kind of generation that we live in? One that is in the middle of this complete marring of the image of God. What do we need to teach our children? What do we say to our children who have to grow up in this kind of generation and who have to walk and talk before in this kind of culture? How do we as a church respond to being in a culture that is like this? You have to work around this. You have to live in a community that's like this. You're online. You're on social media with a community and a culture like this. So it's very important how you talk about it, what you say, what you, what you listen to, what you're influenced by. We need God's word. We need God's truth to help us to be able to stand up for what's right and to stand against that which is wrong. We need to be able to gracefully say what is right and what is wrong. It is black and white. There is no gray when it comes to what God's Word says about how He has made us and who we are. And so it really goes back to Genesis 1. We have to be firmly planted in what God said in the beginning and what God's Word says about what happened in the beginning. And it's like what He said in this, in this writing today. We were made in the image of God. We were made in His likeness. And it says that He made us male and female. And when He saw that, He says it was perfect. You cannot improve upon this. You cannot change this. There is no greater joy in deciding to do it a different way. In fact, when you do it a different way, you lose the joy. There may be pleasure in sin, but there is no lasting joy outside of God's design. Because when He saw it, He said it was very good. 
He made us male and female. That's how we are made. That is our biological makeup. We are either male or female. And you are born that way. And God decides which ones are males and which ones are females. And when you try to change that, you're saying, God, you're not God. And that is what Satan came with in his very first attack on the image of God. He came with that. He said, you're not like God. He doesn't want you to be like Him, and you need to decide to be like God. He says you can't have this tree, this, the fruit of this tree, because it'll, he said it'll make you like God. It'll open your eyes and you'll be like God. Don't be happy with who He's made you. Don't be happy and joyful with what He has provided for you that you can be completely and, and, and perfectly satisfied with. He says, you need something else. Don't be content. And so, He says, you know, when you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened. Well, their eyes were open, right? Their eyes were open, and it says that from that moment on, they saw they were naked. That means they saw themselves for who they were, standing before a holy God and having no righteousness of their own and being afraid and being fearful, which is what we should expect if we go against God's design. We should expect a holy God to exact His justice upon us because we have denied Him as God and we have rejected His sovereignty over our life. So we're told that God made us in His image. He made us a certain way. It is His way. And so this isn't about what we think. It isn't about tradition. It isn't about what what has always been, it is about that it is His way. It is God's way. And so when we're talking to others, we must point them to God. We must hold them accountable to God. You are going against what God has designed. You are going against what God has said. And we are created for His glory. That's why you exist. You exist for the glory of God, for the praise and honor of God. And when you don't submit to His way in the way that He has designed you to live your life and who has he, he has created you as, you don't glorify Him. And He will receive His glory. Either by us giving it to Him as He deserves or being glorified in Him pouring out His wrath upon us. And so I think one of the things that we have to do is we have to teach our children and we have to remind ourselves and we have to point others to the importance and dignity of human life. The importance and dignity of human life that each and every person that is conceived is made in the image of God. The cell that is conceived in the woman is made in the image of God. And it is holy. 
And so that's why we hate the murder of unborn children. Because you are deciding to be God who lives and dies. And you want to call it a fetus. You want to call it an embryo. But it is a living being. It is a living soul made in the image of God. And so, I want us to see what the Bible says about our identity and how our only hope is to be transformed by the grace of God through the Spirit of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say about who we are and what our hope is? Well, number one, I just want to remind you of what I've already said, a couple of things. Number one, you are made in God's image. So when you identify, you must identify as being made in God's image because that's what the Bible says. He created you in His image and His likeness. So when you say what you are, you have to say, I am a created being made in the image of God. And if you don't do that, then you defy what God has said. Because He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. I made them in my image, my likeness to glorify me. I am their God. They are the created beings. I am the creator. They are subject to me. So, number one, you are made in God's image. Number two, you are either made male or female. So, I am made in God's image and I am made male or female. And you don't have a right to decide to change that. And even if you try to change that, it doesn't change who you are. So number three, you are made in God's image. You were made male or female. And number three, you do not get to decide who God made you to be. The first sin of Adam and Eve was to not trust God who he had made them to be God said it was very good and I have given you everything that you need and they said no it is not enough we want to be something different than you have made us to be this is the very first sin this is the sin that's been in the earth 6,000 years or more And so we see it manifested today, but it's been here the whole time. And you see it through the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, and you've seen it in history all throughout the world. This has always been going on. People trying to change who God has made them to be. And so our identity is not in who who we want to be. Our identity is not in who we would like to decide to be. Our identity is in who God made us to be, who He created us to be. If you're a male, that's who God wanted you to be. That's who He created you to be. He brought those two two people together and He created you in this perfect way. If you're a female, that's who He wanted you to be. That's who He created you to be. And you will glorify Him in being what He has created you to be. So you do not get to decide to change who God made you to be. Number four, 
whenever we go against God's choice and design, it will always bring destruction and misery into our lives. Whenever we go against God's choice and design, it will bring destruction and misery into our lives. What happened when Adam and Eve decided to change who God had made them to be? Sin entered into the world. Pain, suffering, loss, death, sickness, disease, hard labor. Now all these were according to the design and purpose of God, we know. But sin has consequences. Disobeying God and trying to choose your own way instead of submitting to Him, it always brings destruction and misery into our lives. And you have example after example after example of this in the Word of God. Just look in Noah's generation. What happened in Noah's generation when they abandoned God's truth and God's word and God's way and they decided what was right in their own eyes. It says about his generation that every thought, every action was continually evil before the Lord. And the Lord was so enraged by it that he said, I'm going to destroy all of them. But he had grace on Noah and his family. What about in Abraham's generation? You already see after the flood, it doesn't take long, a couple hundred years, and you already start, start to have the revolution, the moral revolution, the sexual revolution. You come to a place like Sodom and Gomorrah, and what's going on? Rampant, rampant sexuality, rampant immorality, impurity, rampant same-sex going on. And what happens? They're destroyed. There's not even ten righteous people in that city. And the people that were righteous, it was vexing their souls to be in that culture. And we have example after example after example of nations who turn their back on God and who decide that who God has created them to be. They said, no, this is... This is Not what we want, and so they turn their back on God. And each nation that arises to power is brought down and destroyed. We've seen it it in people groups. Whenever we, even in the smallest unit of the family, decide to go against what God's Word says, it is the destruction of society. When you take away one man and one woman joined in holy matrimony and them being fruitful and multiplying and raising up children, when you leave that, which was God's design, as we see in the second and third chapter, right? Man and woman joined together. This, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Man and wife, right? Man and woman. Husband and wife. That's God's design. There's nothing outside of that. Nothing outside of that. No sexual union outside of marriage. Whenever a society goes against that, we see it fall apart. Why is that? Because God is a perfect creator. 
God is a perfect designer. He knows what will work the best. And we decide we know better. And we're proved time and time again that we don't. And so we know what's going to happen if God doesn't cause a revival in our country. Our country is headed for destruction. It is. And it's under the judgment of God already, and we're just praying that God has mercy upon us. That God causes a revival, which He can, if it's His purpose. But His purpose might be for America to fall. And as the church, we have to accept that, if that is His purpose. But the church will thrive. The church will grow, even under persecution. Even under a fall, the church will grow. Because God's purposes, God's ultimate purposes, cannot be thwarted. So people can try to stamp out the image of God. They can try to change God's design. But God says, my purposes shall stand. There is none that can stay my hand or say to me, what are you doing? His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what are we to tell those that are blinded by this sin? You are made in God's image. God made you a certain way. And you are to glorify Him in this way that He has made you. And when you're deciding to change this, you're not glorifying God. And therefore, misery and destruction is going to be brought into your life. God even gave His law. God even gave His word for unbelievers. It would be the best for them. They have no faith. They have no belief. But God's word, God's law is even a guide to them to protect them. And even when unbelievers forsake the law of God, there's great consequences in their life. When they deny very, the very nature of things, there's a great consequence for them. God is a, he is a God of grace and a God of mercy. He allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. He provides food for all those, even who live wicked lives. But yet when they go against God's design and God's creation it will bring destruction and misery into their lives. It is always seen. So whenever we go against God's choice and design, it will always bring destruction and misery in our lives. Look at Rome. Look at Babylon. Look at Great Britain. And look in God's word at example after example after example. The next thing that I want to say is that there's been a shift even among evangelicals, even among so-called believers and so-called churches. They have said things such as, well, the Bible really doesn't talk much about sexuality. Bible really doesn't tech, talks much about same-sex relationships and these other things. And, you know, if the Bible doesn't talk about it much, then we shouldn't talk about it much. What the Bible whispers about, we should whisper about. And they have said, you know, the Bible just whispers about sexual immorality, and we ought to as well. Do you just find that erroneous? 
Because I, I, I see that God's work, word speaks loud and clear about sexual sin according to God's standard. I think we see it from the very beginning all the way to the very end. And I think we see it all throughout the book. That God does not whisper about this. God speaks loudly about this. And in fact, you, I want you to spend time on your own. And I want you to find every passage in the scripture that talks about either the works of the flesh or sin as it's manifested in our lives. And I want you to look at the list of sins. And I want you to examine all of those passages. And I want you to see which sins are listed at the very top and at the very beginning. And what's always there, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, what King James says, lasciviousness, license to sin, uncleanness, impurity. Because God is a thrice holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. And what is abomination to Him is anything that is unholy. And what is unholy is impurity in the heart and in the life. So you look at Noah's generation and what grieved him. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah and what grieved him. You look even amongst Israel and what grieved him about Israel, right? Was their unfaithfulness to one another? Was this multiplication of of having multiple wives? It was being unfaithful, committing adultery, committing fornication. And so he had to come when the the law of God was given, and he wrote it with his own finger on tables of stone, he says, you shall not commit adultery. Right? That's how important it was to him. He wrote it with his own finger on tables of stone twice. You will not be unfaithful to one another because when you're unfaithful to one another, you're unfaithful to me. And you're going against my design which has said one man and one woman committed together in holy matrimony for life. And so we know that he had to give Moses all of these other laws that had to deal with sexual sin as well. Go to Leviticus chapter 18 and read what God had to tell Moses that the people of God made in His image should stop doing and shouldn't do. They're all the things that are going on today. Unfaithfulness. Okay. All all kinds of sexual immorality. Unnatural affections, inordinate affections. They were all there. Well, we ought not to be surprised by this because, you know, the people were in Egypt for a long time. And they saw and were around a lot of wickedness in Egypt. And so they would be affected by that and that would become some of their own practices. And when God delivered them out of that and was taking them to Canaan, He says, this isn't going to be acceptable. This isn't how you're going to live and what kind of testimony you're going to give to the nations around you. He says, you will have no other gods before me. I am God and God alone. And you will have no other gods before me. And then he goes on to list all the rest. And so, 
we see that God's word speaks loud and clear about sexual sin according to God's standards. And I just want to, I just want to quickly go through passages. You don't even have to turn to all these, but I just want to go to Romans 1 because I mentioned it, and we know that this is clear. We must be able to talk about these with our children and with those who are blinded by sin and living these wicked lives. And we must understand, too, that we would be in this same case if it were not for the grace of God. Verse 21, Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. We would rather worship a wooden statue than we would God. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, right? First one, in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. That's it. When you abandon the knowledge of God, when you reject Him and He gives you over, first thing, first thing, sexual immorality. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the rise of modern self. Worship yourself instead of God. Worship who you want to be than who God made you to be. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a depraved mind, to do those things which are not fitting, are not natural, are vile and gross and disgusting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, Deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so not only do they know it's wrong and do it anyway, not only do they know they were born a certain way and they choose to do it a different way, but this writer says, that they're happy about others who practice these same things, who approve of these practices, and who take pride, right? 
And so we see a lot of pride. Well, I'm not going to go there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, in the church at Corinth, you had sexual immorality. What the Bible would call incest. And so he warns them, do not fellowship with immorality. Right? Know you not that you're the temple of the Holy God, of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? And you are not your own. You don't get to decide what to do with your body because God owns it and He purchased it with the blood of Jesus Christ. And He says, adulterers, fornicators, idolaters, homosexuals, sodomites will not inherit the kingdom of God. Shouting loudly. We're familiar with Galatians chapter 5 and the list there of the works of the Spirit. The works of the... I call it the works of the Spirit. The works of the flesh in contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 19, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Again, the very first sins that are listed. Not that they're any greater than these other sins, but they do have greater consequences. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. We won't even go into what that is. Revelries and the like. Of which I tell you before, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Clear and loud. Ephesians chapter 4. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. And if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And that's what these are. What we're seeing is deceitful lusts. Lust that deceive us and deceive others. We've got to put those off. And our only hope is to be born again by the Spirit of God that we can be able to put those off and to change our sinful ways. Just give you a, more to look at. I don't have time to go to all of them. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 7. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 1 through 8. 1 Timothy 
chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Titus, chapter 3, verse 3. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Jude, chapter 1, verse 5 through 15. The Bible speaks loud and clear from the front page to the back. And he says, You have been made in the image of God. And when you reject this, it leads to all kinds of spiritual wickedness in your life, which dishonors God. And we turn to the last book in our Bible. And we see in the last chapter, well, just in chapter 21, we'll start there. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's the only hope you have, is that God overcomes your sinful nature. And if He overcomes your sinful nature, then you will be able to overcome your sinful nature. You will be able to resist these sins and these temptations. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. For those that continue in such sins and that practice such sins, we can hold no hope for them outside of God changing them by His grace. Because the Bible is very clear that if you continue to practice those things and there is never any change in your life, He says that you will burn. You will burn in hellfire for all eternity. You also do that because you were a liar, because you were an idolater, because you were, you were one who covets. Just one idle thought would condemn you to burn in hell for an eternity. But he's making a point here, right? He's making a point and saying the sins which they're so proud of, the sins which they want to flaunt in front of us, the sins which they want to say are liberating and freeing, he says, they're going to suffer for all eternity for these sins. So don't, don't, don't be covetous of the lifestyle that they're living because this is their end. And it should also grieve our hearts. And it should, we should be like it says in Jude, right? That if some have compassion, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, right? So we should grieve, we should be saddened, but we should have compassion on those who are blinded by their sin and we should do everything that we can to get them to change. But we know that we can't change them. Only God can change them. And so the sixth thing I want to say is we must be loving to those who have been blinded by their sin by telling them the truth. 
to tell someone the truth is love. To withhold the truth is to hate. So if we truly love those that are blinded by these sins, we must be telling them the truth. Now Ephesians tells us, speak the truth in what? In love. And then in Colossians, it tells us, let your speech be always seasoned with what? Grace. Right? So when we talk about these things on social media, or I should say when we type or text them about them on social media, it must be seasoned with grace and it must be in love. When we talk to one another about these things, it must be in love and seasoned with grace. And when we talk face-to-face with those who are broken by these sins, we must do it with love and compassion and in mercy and seasoned with grace. But no compromising of the truth. No watering down of the truth. The unvarnished, clear and loud voice that is screaming from these pages and that is screaming from their Creator. Turn from your wicked ways. Return to me, your Creator. It goes down in Revelation chapter 21 and talking about the glory of the new Jerusalem. Oh, the glory that will be revealed. This is what we long for. These things are hard to talk about. These things are hard to discuss. But there's coming a day when all these things will be put away. There will be no more impurity. There will be no more confusion. There will be no more uh, disobedience of God. There will only be glory. There will only be perfect obedience and perfect joy and perfect happiness. Because it will be changed. Verse 26, And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter into in into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And in the very last chapter of Revelation, the very last pages of Scripture, says, verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to His work. Let this sink in. I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to His work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do His commandments from the heart because they love Him that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Young people, What the world is saying is acceptable is a lie. What they are saying about who you are and what your identity in 
is a lie. Don't listen to it. Don't be influenced by it. Listen to what God's Word says. It's the truth. It tells you you are made in God's image. He made you male and female. He created you for His glory. And you are not to practice or be involved in all these sins. Instead, you are to put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and holiness. But it's a law. Abortion, the right to abort is a law. Divorce is a law. Same-sex relationships and same-sex marriages are a lie. God does not recognize them nor honor them. Trying to decide who you want to be or deciding that you don't want to identify as anything is a lie. We have to call a spade a spade. We have to call sin, sin, because that's what the Bible does. But the last thing I want to say, and the message that we need to constantly have on our lips, is that there is hope, and that there is forgiveness with God. And there is healing with God from all sin. And so whether you're... uh, you have sexual sins, whether you have, uh, you're a covetous person, whether you're a greedy person, whether you're a proudful person, whether you're a liar, whether you're a cheat, or whether you steal, or whatever, any sin, there is hope for you, for your sins to be forgiven, and there is cleansing, and there is healing for you, that you can be changed, and your course, the course of your walk in nature can be changed. And so what they've already done in Canada and what's coming to the United States, unless some people stand up and, and fight for it, is they've already made a, it a law in Canada, in Canada to try to convert someone or to try to convince someone not to try to change who they are. Okay, let me say it again. They have made it a law to forbid to try to convert someone who is trying to change who they are. And so now pastors will be put in prison if they speak the truth concerning who we are made in God's image. And so we need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters and the faithful pastors in Canada And it's coming, and it's already here. You may not know this, but conversion therapy is banned in over 25 states in the United States of America. So just the, just the, the, the human idea of someone going under therapy who's thinking about this, they have made it illegal just to give someone therapy we're, just, we're not talking about biblical counseling. <laughs> we're not talking about any of that. We're just talking about therapy, psychotherapy. They have said no. Not here in Georgia yet, but in the liberal states. It is against the law 
to practice conversion therapy. And I believe it's coming soon that it will be a national law. So we need to be in prayer about that. But there is hope for forgiveness and healing because of what Jesus has done. He has paid the price for all sin for all His people. And so if you're one of His and you've been committing these sins and you've been living in this lifestyle or you've been promoting this, if you are His, He will rescue you from that. He saves us from our sins. He died a bloody death on the cross and He rose again from the death to free us from the chains of our sinful nature. And so the only hope I can give you is that you be changed by the gospel of grace. That you be changed by the person of Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. And so when you're going to these passages that are referenced, I want you to notice something in there. He lists all of those sins, sins we've been talking about. And in most of those passages, and a lot of them, he says what? And such were some of you. He says, and in times past, we all had our way of walking these, but now we walk a different way. Right? So in all those passages, you see hope for change. And you see change in one who is truly born of the Spirit of God. They go from impurity to purity. They go from idolatry to worshiping the true and only God. They go from a hater to a lover. They go from proud to humble. Not perfectly overnight, but progressive sanctification. God is making them more like Jesus Christ every day. And so the hope for you is that you'll be born again by the Spirit of God and He'll give you faith to be able to believe in Christ, lay hold upon Christ, to believe this Word and start applying this Word to your life and repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And so notice the past tense verbs when it speaks about the people of God. They have been saved by the grace of God. Not saved in their sins, but saved from their sins. So in conclusion, there's some things that I think we should pray for and be praying for and that I'm going to try to pray for this year. Be in prayer that legalized murdering of people will be overturned. 63 million, 63 million children in the womb have been murdered since 1973 in the United States. That's more than one million a year. Be in prayer that legalized same-sex marriages will be overturned. There's approximately 568,000 same-sex marriages in the United States right now. Be in prayer for the end of rapid divorce in our country. Over 50% of marriages end in divorce in our country right now. And be in prayer for the end of the attack of Satan on the image of God 
in people, in men and women in our country. The LBGDQ plus agenda that it will soon come to an end. It will come to an end and God will overthrow it. But if we have to live in such a time as this, may we be faithful to the Word of God. May we be faithful to the truth of God. May we stand up for what is right And may we tell people lovingly and graciously what is right and what is wrong and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin corrupts. Sin deceives. Sin destroys. And it is destroying our families. It is destroying our communities. And it is destroying our country, our nation. And it is destroying the world. But Jesus Christ is on the throne And everything is happening according to His plan. He's still going to come back exactly as it has been designed by the Father. The church is going to continue to grow and to spread throughout all the earth. Every single one of the elect children of God are going to be born again and the Word of God is going to be preached to them and they're going to receive it by faith and they're going to live changed lives until God calls them to glory. And so while it seems dark and it seems dreary, We have much to rejoice in. We have much to take joy in. We have much to be happy about. And our children have much to look forward to. Because as the world and our community is getting worse, the gospel and the church is growing and expanding. And as persecution comes, God will grow His church even more. And there may be a great revival coming in our country. And this is what we should pray for. Revival. Revival in the hearts of people. Revival in the families. Revival in government. Revival in all the governments of the world. That we may return to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if not, help us to remain faithful and true. You must pray for people to be delivered from their blindness. You know... We're all born into this world with a sinful nature. We're all born with radical corruption. We're all born with all these tendencies to sin. So we cannot blame it. We cannot excuse our sin and say, I was born this way. Of course you're born that way. You're born with a sinful nature. And different ones of us are are born with different sinful tendencies. But we're all born with a sinful nature and sinful tendencies... But we're not all allowed to go around practicing and calling those acceptable, right? So you may be born with a nature to commit murder, but you're not allowed to do that. You may be born with a nature that wants to abuse people, but that is not allowed. So, you know, our culture has decided which ones are allowable and which ones are not. But God says, none of them are allowable. None of them are acceptable. And we must repent and change because He's coming quickly. So we must preach the gospel of grace and of transformation. They want to talk about transforming and they want to talk about becoming something different. Well, we need to be talking about becoming something different. Being transformed by the grace of God being transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
So if you're living in a state of sin, in a state of spiritual blindness, I pray that your eyes may be opened. Open to see your sin. Open to see a holy God. Open to see a loving and merciful Father that sent His Son to die and pay the penalty for your rebellion and wickedness. And that your only source of hope and healing is found in His Son through His righteousness. And that you'll be able to embrace it. And that the Holy Spirit will work a change in you if you're being convinced of sin in your life, then turn your eyes upon Jesus for He is full of compassion and grace. He is able to heal and to forgive. He is able to change your nature. He is able to give you strength that you need to overcome any sin in your life. That's for a believer or unbeliever. He is able. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with sin. And what happens if we'll come to him? I will give you rest. I will give you victory. I will make you an overcomer. You'll be able to do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly. Jesus is gentle and lowly. He paid the price. He bore the burden. And He stands at the right hand of God as our intercessor. And so, I implore you, go to Him. Stay close to Him. We were made in His image. We were predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's your identity. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. And so Paul would say, I, Saul, have been crucified with Christ And now it is no longer I who live, Saul, but it is Jesus Christ who lives within me. And so now I am the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my identity. I'm His, and He is mine. May God bless you and keep you as my prayer.